0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Steadcast. I'm really happy to welcome you all back and this is a little pre-introduction before the pod gets going just to say that we actually recorded this particular episode the Sunday before last, hence the reason that if you're curious as to why Kieran's talking about 24 hours since he raced and obviously the eight days importantly to the pub. I just wanted to jump in and say ahead of time that that all it is is that I've just had a few delays getting this pod finished and uploaded, but hopefully that will all be corrected as we move forward. So welcome back and enjoy the Steadcast.
1: Racing is back, Steadcast is back in eight days time we can go back to the pub again hey, life is good
0: applause life is good applause for all of those things everybody who might be listening welcome back yes as kieran just said we have got to reintroduce half a dozen different topics the idea of this podcast for one which certainly kieran and i have been long long overdue to record racing and not just virtual racing with our stopwatchers actual human beings racing next to each other in real environments can you imagine that and do you know what the idea of the pub well that's just a little bonus feature isn't it well
1: oh, i think it's more than a bonus feature but yeah like you said it's been a while i think the last time you would have heard anything from us would have been our review of the london marathon back in october of last year so yeah, worrying to reintroduce ourselves right. but yeah yes we've uh it's been hard times it's been hard times i think people understand but to reintroduce ourselves i'm kieran clements head coach at steadfast runners hence the uh genius pun on this podcast name steadcast and i do a little bit of running myself uh this episode is actually mainly going to be about me so ego check uh (laughs) and joined (laughs) joined by my co-host sam wade he's the uh kind of the the brains behind most of the stuff we do the technical operations uh, wouldn't really know how to do this without him so yeah.
0: yeah how's it going yeah I'm doing well I also want to interject for anyone who might be a first-time listener or maybe is unfamiliar with this whole concept I, I want to say also I'm kind of like your ongoing protege from from the whole idea of coaching and I think I'm, I've always been your fun little thought experiment for somebody who's got so much potential and dabbles in and out of making the most of it <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, that's very true. Um, Yeah, for people that haven't listened before, obviously, Sam is the first athlete that I ever coached. We even made a video of it. If you head over to YouTube and watch it, what's it called? Project
0: 5? Project 5, running my fastest mile, I think that's what it's called.
1: There we go. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Um, And we took Sam from not really having ever... I don't think you'd ever really run on a track before other than sports day and the odd messing about sprinting around and stuff yeah um took him from that to a sub five minute mile in 10 weeks so yeah like you say about having a lot of potential yeah you're not wrong
0: absolutely well I'm flattered as always but yes this is not just us (laughs) chewing the fat over our past achievements we are actually going to talk about some uh some running context as well and I think let's just yeah, as much as we would like to sit around for an hour patting ourselves on the <laughs> back. Yeah, let's 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 get let's get into it. And really we do have a lot of catching up to do. I don't want us to spend too much time just chewing the fat because you and I could get awfully carried away over all sorts of things. But importantly, COVID hopefully now is getting to a point where, and I'm gonna choose my words extremely carefully here, where it's a lot more controllable. And the limitations that it puts on all of our lives, and especially in a sporting context, are starting to draw closer. And I think that we can now say there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think that that also culminates now in people starting to get their, obviously their lives and their fitness and their racing schedules in the world of running kind of back on track. Obviously, pubs reopen soon, gyms reopen soon as well, which is very exciting. And I'm sure alongside that, various different sports clubs and sport you know and activities and things like that will all be able to come back to life which is tremendously exciting and certainly I'm noticing a lot of the events that were being delayed now feel like they're kind of on the horizon again and that goes from everything from park runs which are due back in the not too distant future right the way up to the olympics which now sounds, finally sounds like it's kind of got some structure and um, has actually got some clues as to how, how we can kind of perceive it going ahead in the summer
1: yep how we can perceive it going ahead and are going to be running there as well so it's been a pretty difficult last 12 months and i think the kind of the higher up you are, the food chain in athletes, the easier it's been. Uh, but at the same time, it's also been very, very difficult. So we've got a few shout outs that we're going to give. The first and probably loudest from the hilltop shout out that we have to give is to my coach, to Chris Thompson, Tomo, as many will know him, qualified for the Olympic marathon in Kew Gardens. Oh, when was it? Last Friday, two yeah. weeks ago, Friday, last Friday. Um, I mean, I think... <laughs> just about everybody had written him off for that and the reception that he's had since there he's gone viral um yeah it's been pretty insane so that's a big shout out but I also want to give shout outs as well to the rest of the guys in steadfast runners who have been training their asses off and some of them have produced some unbelievable performances in time trials and just in training like just reaching new levels and to keep going through this it's it's not easy to keep that motivation up when there's I mean, it's been 12 months for some people without races at all. I mean, I I just did my first race in, yeah, pretty much exactly 12 months. So, yeah, no, it's not been easy, but there is there is hope on the horizon. And it is looking like things are starting to, for want of a better word, normalise.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and the thing is, I think as long as you're cautious with how you say certain things and you you sort of maintain that cautious optimism, all of a sudden you'll find yourself having real life so to speak kind of come back bit by bit by bit to, to a point that feels comfortable i mean i've certainly done a lot of like solo running and things like that i haven't run with anyone in a long time but i'm i'm kind of acutely aware that i can now and i have always been able to but now i'd feel less you know less covety for want of a better expression it asking a few people to go out for a run or doing things and, and also a lot of this home comes with like the nicer weather and stuff you know being able to really motivate yourself through the cold and the winter and the lockdown, all of those things combined, it, it does make a huge huge difference.
1: Mm, no, no, hundred percent. And yeah, it's just it's just easier to get out for a run. But nice, like it just is. And it's easier to get out for a run when you have somebody else there with you to keep you accountable. Absolutely. So yeah, no, it is all looking good. Um. So I mean, racing is coming back and it has been on. So should we talk about some of the, kind of the the heavy hitters? We already touched on the the British Olympic Trials. The British Olympic Marathon has now been announced. I mean, if you don't know what it is and you've been listening to this podcast, what are you doing? How do you not know this? <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So there's there's been some other pretty big races. The women's half marathon record fell literally just this morning. Um, 64 what was it 6402
0: uh, i i've had 6403 in my head but whatever it is it's uh, it's jolly quick
1: <laughs> 64 oh it, it is jolly quick um and without wanting to sound big headed it's quite impressive to me when a female world record is faster than a personal best of mine um, my half marathon pb is 6431 which incidentally was exactly the same time as the previous world record so yeah, pretty pretty good going.
0: Yeah, so that's been exceeded. There's been um, reannouncements now of I think a lot of the big races, certainly on a like domestic scale, but also in the international things. So I think people are going to start getting excited. Obviously, the London Marathon, as we always talk about, is it seems like it's fairly back on course for October. I was actually due to be running the big half, which was supposed to be the 25th of this month um that's now had a rescheduled date to august august is it yeah but
1: what i think what i think actually i really want to get you to touch on here now that we're talking about races and things like that is do you remember where the women's half marathon record was set
0: what today just this morning yeah
1: do you remember where it was what course it was what country what city
0: on honestly no it's one of those things it just sort of it it (laughs) popped it popped up on my it popped up on my feed and it was, it was just casually a sort of, Oh, and here's a new women's half world records. So and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. No,
1: well, I'm, I'm glad you said no, because me neither. So should we, should we kind of get a little bit into what we were talking about before we started recording with this, um, just with how I think you put it best when you were saying these world, like world records are exciting, but when it happens at an event that you weren't aware was happening, and it's not really something that you care about. It kind of takes a little bit of the magic away. Is that is that a fair description of kind of what you were thinking?
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's that's the right way to word it. And and it's not to be it's it sounds very difficult because I have nothing but admiration for anybody who can really push themselves to, to get a PB. And especially when we're talking world-class athletes, a world record is undeniable. It is a world record. However, there's certain platforms where world records have a lot more of an impact. And this, uh, I, I give I give you maybe some, some key parallels. Think about any other sport. If you were to do, say somebody, uh, here we go. Hit this this let's, let's go in running first and then let's think about outside of running. Go on. Let's say Usain Bolt's world records that he set in Berlin. So those were all set in 2009. Right, and obviously they, yep, are... they were set
1: in Berlin at the World Championships. Yeah, and it... they broke the records that he'd previously set at the Olympics. But so... I tell
0: you what, I bet you if you said to people, "What's your when did Bolt set the world record, or what are your key memories of Usain Bolt?" The amount of people that would say the World Championships versus the Olympics, I reckon loads of people would say the Olympics. And only only those really in the know would say the World Championships. Mm. And that's because the scale of the Olympics and the build up that those events have are much more important. And now if we were to apply that to a different sport, say, for example, like swimming, maybe less people follow swimming than follow football and running and boxing and all the other sort of you know sports that maybe get a bit more airtime. But I bet you everybody can say that they saw Michael Phelps set a world record back in like 2008 or whenever um yep and
1: and it would have been set at the olympics despite the fact that i bet you he'd broken world records at the world championships the year before that or two years before whenever the swimming world championships are
0: absolutely i think
1: i think that's a really that's a really valuable point because when world records are set in something like the berlin marathon like the london marathon that's front page news international like front page news yeah but if it happens in wherever this half marathon was I, I kind of wish I'd remembered it now so I could have said it there. But when you set a world record in wherever this half marathon is, not, nobody really cares. And the half marathon it is kind of a distance that doesn't get as much media attention as it should. I, I personally think the half should be an Olympic event because I just think it's a, it's so different, vastly different from the 10,000 and from the marathon. Yeah, I think I'm... it's a nice little medium. But that's, that's a completely different discussion.
0: Yeah, I but think...
1: yeah, it's go on, carry on.
0: I was just going to say, I th- I think that it 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 doesn't discredit the athletes, but the fact that it doesn't get the attention almost it almost has a an air of discreditment not to discredit you know the world record but it's i think of,
1: yeah it, i think what you're i think what you're trying to say is it doesn't discredit the athlete but it actually it does them a disservice yeah, like it, it's not their performance isn't getting the recognition it deserves because it happened in the wrong context it's kind of like if you think of what's what's the best football match you've ever seen
0: Oh god! I mean, certainly the first. I mean, I'm not much of a football fan, but certainly one of the ones that like jumps to mind will be like when Germany thrashed Brazil in the World Cup. That's that's got one of those kind of just go to in the World Cup. Yeah, I
1: I think that's the key. There is in the World Cup. Like, I mean, you could have an amazing game. Like, you could have Ipswich versus Norwich, the old East Anglian derby. Could be an amazing game. It could finish five four. It could have been back and forth but because there's nothing really on the line because that's just a game <laughs> like or one one that springs to mind is England beat Germany 5-1 in a friendly like a long time ago i think it was 2002 or something it was yeah. uh, i recently saw that because germany lost like their third ever World Cup qualifying game and that 5-1 loss to England was one of them Yeah, and I remember that game that was an absolutely yeah. amazing game
0: I, I do as well in but if you had
1: asked me without me being prompted to remember that game if you'd asked me what's the best England game I've ever seen I'd have said the World Cup 2018
0: yeah yeah
1: so the big events get the the big attention and I think performing at those big events it doesn't necessarily have to be a championship event but I think performing at those big events is better for the sport and for the athlete than at just a random time i think you described it as just some person who's found a course that's really fast and has paid a bunch of athletes to go there and yeah. there's not really any spectacle or build-up or Th- this, this well this fanfare is I mean, or any involvement with anybody else and it's just we're here to manufacture these times yeah this in is a sport it. where times really at the moment like with the state of the sport at the moment i think time should really be put by the wayside and we should focus on competition
0: yeah and that's that's actually something that's really really interesting and i'm i'm glad that you kind of worded it that way because yeah what my my point that obviously i made kind of off air and then as you sort of reinforced there is that you get the impression that people kind of scope out kind of people scope out the potential for these events to really be successful and that's great don't get me wrong however when you have an event like that if it's if it breaks a record in its first year it it kind of goes oh well that you know it almost takes the edge off it and and there's no legacy i think that's a good way to word it as well is there's no legacy I mean, you have these build ups but people kind of you know they don't discredit it but it's there's unless something truly truly astounding happens it maybe will then just get the legacy of being oh it's just another fast course and i think the amount of Half world records and 10,000 world records, and little things that you hear about oh, such and such a person ran this time and ran that time. When and then you and then you see the course is just a straight line or it's just three loops or something like that around a city center. Um, this is something that I thought actually when I was watching. Well, a, I did,
1: a city center running used to be huge, and I think they need to bring that back.
0: Yeah, um, something that I was going to say just to jump in actually is that I, I thought this when I was watching the race around Kew Gardens the other day is that I'm kind of really starting to get very bored of lapped like long distance courses um obviously i get that a track race has it has its own has its own kind of uh, its own qualities but i'm getting a bit bored of just seeing people run around in circles and to be honest i think all of this and that was going to be my next point before we can kind of move forward is that the the other flip side of this is that just covid obviously hasn't been the friend of anybody in order to make these events more manageable during covid times they have to find ways to make the courses shorter because they can't plug two ends of a city and have it filled with spectators. They need to be able to keep people in that environment and control who comes in and who goes out. So it's again, yeah, no,
1: exactly. Well, I think racing during COVID times is going to be something that's going to be looked back on to be very different to racing pre and post COVID times. And this is like we said off air. I mean, the big the big events like London Marathon, Berlin Marathon all the world marathon majors and uh, just the ones that kind of spring to mind the great north run and things like that as well these are uh, the diamond league i guess too uh these events especially the road races they rely on mass participation and they can't go ahead if it's impossible to have a mass participation race because how are they then gonna how are you gonna justify closing all of london so that 25 elites can run through the city center (laughs) like this is not how it works and how are you going to pay for these road closures and these elites if you don't have the backing from the mass participation if you don't have forty thousand other entrants paying their entry fee absolutely so i think that i think that it will go back to kind of the way racing was in post covid times i think we will be looking more at um kind of the big performances will come at your Berlin's they'll come at your London's they'll come at your, your Olympics, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, during COVID people have had to do with it, like do what they can with it, basically with what's allowed. And they have been doing insane jobs. Like we'll kind of flip it on its head. We've had our little curmudgeonly moan. like now <laughs> we'll bring some positivity to the pod. And I think it's a good time to transition while we're talking about fast times, We're talking about new events that are popping up and are really making waves. And that's quickly before I move on to that. That's one thing that I want to say is events can like we're not saying that everyone has to do these historic races. And if you don't do them, then I don't care what time you run. I don't care if you run a world world record. That's not true. Valencia now has a reputation. If I see a race is going ahead in Valencia, I think, yes, that's going to be wick i can't wait to see that i'm gonna stay up late or wake up early and watch this half marathon or 10k or whatever in valencia night of the 10,000 pbs at highgate that's got a reputation because it's just got the atmosphere it's exciting it's the british champs and the european cups there's something on the line and the podium 5k which is what we're going to talk about now it's a really exciting event so this is the race that i did but before we talk about me we're going to talk about another world record I don't know. We haven't. We didn't discuss this, and I can't believe we didn't discuss it. But there was a world record at this event.
0: Yeah, I saw last but... night.
1: You did see this, okay? Yeah. So Beth Potter, she ran fourteen forty one for a women's world record in the five k on the roads. I mean, that's that's an unreal performance. <laughs> and like I get having been there and seen kind of the atmosphere and the course and just what had been cultivated. Like I, I can see how it happened, and I can I think that this event once you can get some crowds in you can get people kind of right on the edge of the track drinking beers you can have music you can have speakers like you can have a crowd i, I think this event is going to become absolutely electric in the next few years
0: yeah yeah and and do you know what certainly i found it kind of difficult to because um, obviously i was watching it on a live feed which is the best that i could manage i found it mm. difficult to kind of understand the layout of how it was just sort of on there but the thing that was good about it was that you did get regular views of the groups going past and i think that is like and that was only it was only shot from obviously like a person's perspective it wasn't any aerial camera work or anything like that um, exactly and i mean
1: imagine that if you got a bit of production quality on it like if you got if you had somebody Sat in a buggy or, or on the back of a bike or something, and you had a drone to get some like aerial shots, like you say, and a couple of other kind of cameras where you'd see the runners run past. I think there's a lot of room for this, ev- an already really exciting event, to grow.
0: Yeah, and I think just to... and the
1: fact that people are the fact that people are running fast, it means you're going to get the athletes.
0: Yeah, this is it. and do you know what? and I think to kind of tie it in with I think to to kind of tie off the points that we were making before we just moved on here is maybe a really good way to to kind of summarize this is I think because like I' say I'm getting a bit bored of the lapped like city courses and the lapped longer longer courses. I think what you need to have is when you're doing courses, when they're like point to point through cities, that's better because you get to go on a tour of the city or the tour of the area as you do it rather than they're going past Big Ben again or they're going past whatever event it is again. you know. So you either need to have either a tour of the environment or if it is going to be lapped going around the same environment, like you've said, it needs to have a degree of like spectacle to it you need to introduce the story and the spectacle to it and and if you can turn yeah and
1: well i think you also need to have a lot of focus on splits i think you need to have a lot of focus on splits a lot of focus on what's happening like you need to have somebody let's say you're streaming it you need to have somebody on the commentary who knows how to do play-by-play who knows how to identify an athlete who knows how to look at the race see what's going on who looks good who doesn't i mean tim hutchins does this really well um as does steve cram as does uh oh a whole bunch of people um you need somebody like that who's able to kind of talk them through what they're seeing on the screen yeah i think help that and you I, need I, a crowd as well
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely and I, I think a good way to to do it as well is is for certainly for running an events like the podium 5k that you're at to really begin to to become fun for people to watch like because obviously the runners will always watch it and will always they'll get their enjoyment of it from the un- from their own understanding. If you want to appeal to yeah. a wider market, you kind of need more people to understand like splits and things like that and and that comes from people having the confidence to explain it on the commentary rather than just going and so and so's ahead and so and so's ahead. Like if you can start to get people to understand those things, then it's going to make a big difference.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's not particularly difficult to to do either. So an example of what they could have done is we we passed through 2k in 5:30 through through our 2k split in the race. Yeah, you could quite easily say you could quite easily do the maths on that as well, especially if you have a strong involvement with running. You could say right, they've gone through 2k in 5:30. That's fourteen forty that's 13:45 pace, which is the same pace as the park run world record. Everyone's on a park run. <laughs> yeah, you can relate to yeah. that. That's. I mean that's a very specific example there. I mean Beth Potter's run. I think she ran over a minute faster than the park run world record. I mean, wow! How about putting that into context? So she's run an outright 5K women's world record. Okay, what does that mean? Oh, it means she's a minute faster than the fastest park runner ever, and also faster than every 5K runner ever. Like, yeah, it's it's just putting it into context and. I mean, whilst we're on the subject of appealing to a mass market, should we get to the big one? Do it. So, there was a... The reason why this race, among many, many reasons, has really stood out and really broken new ground, and why I think it's such a good, innovative race that's going to go from strength to strength, is they had something at this race that I've never seen at an event of this level. Like, Yes, it had a world record, so who obviously is of a very high level, but i don't think people were really expecting that people were expecting it to be kind of a national class type of race type of level but what they had is they had gambling in this race so it was william hill is that
0: right that's right
1: yeah so william hill someone somebody that works there basically uh, who is a runner as well or a former runner um managed to do a bit of research and managed to price up the men's a race and was able to give odds on you know whoever was competing and you could bet you could bet people to win i think you could do each ways as well um and yeah it just got people talking it got people interested i mean i don't think you'd have followed the race as close as you did if you didn't have a couple of quid on me which sorry you lost by the way
0: (laughs) no it's fine um yeah and and do you know what and this is this is something that I thought about that, and do you know what, and you and I've discussed this certainly I think on podcasts in the past and in our own personal I'm sure experience.
1: yeah, I'm sure we've mentioned it on here before,
0: yeah, is that in order for things that are maybe a little bit more niche to suddenly have more excitement, why not introduce having beers in the stadium why not introduce a bit of gambling and again apply it to mm-hmm. any apply it to any other sport you know if you apply it to you know football or boxing or even other kinds of racing. Um, you know, people always, always put bets on like the horses and, you know, you know, people that have put bets on, you know, greyhound racing and stuff like that. And there it's seen as part of the, it's seen as almost part of the culture of the sport, whereas...
1: It's not, no, no, no it's, uh, You said it, it's not part of the culture of the sport. It's the whole sport. Would well, you no, ever, no, yeah. Yeah, would yeah. you ever consider going to the horse races or going to watch the dogs and not gambling? Yeah. In fact, yeah, no. Would you yeah, ever yeah. consider that? No one would. Yeah. No one wants to just go and watch people... Not people. No one wants to go and just watch animals race each other. Yeah. So why do they expect that to be so different for people? Yeah. Because of the stories. Fine. Because athletes, there are people. They're relatable. They've got stories. But I think once you get to a certain level, unless you're at the Olympics, an elite, an elite athlete that isn't winning the Olympics isn't relatable. Yeah, absolutely. How do you do that? Okay, we'll put something on the line. Put your money on the line. Yeah. And people, people, people don't have the opportunity to do that. If you gave, I think if you gave most people the opportunity, right, you can bet on this animal or you can bet on this human. You'd hope they'd choose the human. Do you want to watch this, these people sitting on a horse, whipping it, trying to make it run as fast as it can? Or do you want to watch these people compete against each other?
0: absolutely and you know what and there's and also it's it's kind of a format that like i say it hasn't really existed and people get excited for things like that um you know why like I say, i I think also there can often be especially with like the big horse races and stuff like horse racing uh you know sort of expert or pundit or anything um but i think there is a degree of kind of there's a degree of snobbery there can be a degree of desperation there's half a dozen different sort of characters that you insert into those environments Um, but ultimately it's seen as being kind of one, one way or the other depending on what your opinion is either it's seen as being a luxurious sport or kind of a sleazy sport. I think every, mm, yeah I think everyone even if they don't necessarily understand running kind of respects it when it when it gets to a, a high level and I think for a lot of people you know it let, let's say you had to force somebody to watch it what's the way they're going to find their enjoyment out of it saying no oh, I take a punt on it and and do you know what and how funny would it be is, is and if, they don't you don't even have
1: to invest money to make it interesting in that way so no, again the that's, first that's a big big thing. athletics competition that I ever went to was the English schools. <laughs> And I remember sitting in the stands with my mates and like you don't you don't really have anything to do. We didn't have phones at that time. Like we didn't have like iPhones where you could just scroll through Instagram and not like listen to anything. So you're stuck in this stadium until your race is on. You're there for probably five hours during the day. So what do you do? You watch the races before it. You're like, right, I'll have the kid in the green vest. Okay, I was going to pick him. Fine. I'll take the red guy oh nice okay he looks decent but i reckon this guy in black is going to be the one to win the race and you watch it and that makes the race interesting even though you don't know who these people are they're not running an event that you're particularly interested in sometimes you know like it could be the 55 meter hurdles like i've no interest in that but if I want red to win and my mate reckons green's going to win suddenly I'm watching that with interest
0: yeah absolutely and 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 yeah I, I think that because I think that needs to be one of the ways that we introduce it and certainly if you were to then introduce it into environments like podium 5k or like we've talked about in the past having it on like racing circuits and things like introducing that degree of spectacle that's one of those ways that all of a sudden you can make athletics kind of become a little bit more sexy and cool and fun than it would be otherwise
1: yeah no i think it would massively grow the sport um the biggest limitation uh to actually getting that off the ground uh and i'm, I'm cheating a little bit here because i listened to a pod um on my way home from the race yesterday with the guy who um up the odds for yesterday uh as a guest and he's what he basically said is it doesn't make money you i think this is almost a direct quote from him is if you priced up a ping pong match on the other side of the world, that's going to make more money on William Hill than pricing up, you know, this race or a BMC or the British champs or something like this. I don't know why that is. And I can't quite get my head around it. I think, I think you could, if you could convince the right people to do it, and maybe he'll be one of the kind of the pioneers of this. And this is just the beginning of, a snowball effect of athletics becoming as popular again as it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s. But I think if you market it right, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity here.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And there there needs to be. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this is one of those things a lot of things don't make money though you name me any person that set up a business and turned a profit straight away very very few so especially when there's... exactly
1: and well I tell you what who's got who's got the capital to <laughs> to fund something like this it's probably somebody like a William Hill or a Brett 365 or Skybet or whoever whatever company wants to precisely slam it down and what why could they not sponsor an event let's say the British Milers Club. Let's say they're looking for a, a title sponsor, or even British Athletics. Why does it have to be Müller British Athletics? Why do you have to be sponsored by Yoga? Why can we not be sponsored by William Hill? Should I, you should I, give,
0: should I give you a theory of mine with these? And, Go on. Uh, and everyone likes a good Sam Wade theory. But my, my theories with these sorts of things is because athletics has seemed to be like one of those like ultra healthy sports. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's seen to be so healthy, and it's not seen as like a. It seems. Yeah. It seems. To have that sort of—I don't want to use the word purity because obviously there's lots of like scandals.
1: No, no, you're, I, I think that's the right word. To, it's got that that reputation of being yeah purist, straight laced amateurism, uh, and I think it needs to and and you know and i think then, that needs to go oh, i think that's I, stupid
0: yeah and and you know don't get me wrong there's obviously there's some nobility to that but i think gambling and all these sort of william hill types obviously they they get their ugly they get their ugly name from you know when the when the fun stops stop you know they get an ugly name from from all that that kind of um i don't know media backlash and all the attention you get from these gambling sites but ultimately this is what other this is what other sports rely on. You know, obviously we we talk about boxing casually on here, and I, I watch a lot of it. And all of, you know, I think Anthony Joshua's fights are all sponsored by William Hill. And you name me a fight that doesn't have, um, you know, whichever gambling company is is sponsored. You know, on the canvas that they're, they're all there. And why why should a, a sport? No, exactly.
1: Well, I can't. Th- Do you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I can't think of another sport that wouldn't have that isn't easy to gamble on i mean cycling maybe is one that i could think of where you wouldn't you wouldn't bet on like a national cycling event but i mean the tour de france for example you could easily bet on i mean football rugby all of the sports that are doing well at the moment are almost entirely centered around gambling i don't want to talk about gambling for too much longer but no, but to... I do think that it's. I, I do think that it potentially could be huge for the sport moving forward. If if this sort of thing continues to happen, I think it could snowball. Well,
0: here you go. Here's here's a good way. Here's a good way to um to summarize it. Right. If you've got say boxers that put their lives on the line, they train as hard, if not harder, than anyone else in any other sport. Um, you know, what's why should they? be sponsored by it you know what's what's not noble about their sport versus about running you know like this this is, yeah. this is. if you, if you don't apply any sport and say oh well yeah but they they get sponsored because of this why can't you apply those exact same principles to athletics as you and I have said mm-hmm. c- continuously often you know, because the thing is, in a, in a sport, say, for example, like fighting, just to bring it back, because I think that's one of those things that everyone fancies a punt on, even if they know nothing about it. People feel like it's a little bit more 50-50 rather than you have to be in the know and you have to know every single participant.
1: We should probably transition into what we've titled this episode. Um, we've teased it a couple, of fa- a couple of times, but basically what we're going to go through is how I me kieran went from couch to sub 14 minute 5k in seven months and i think that's a bit of a clickbaity title absolutely if (laughs) if we've ever had one on this because it wasn't it wasn't couch to 5k but it kind of was so where do you want to start do we want to start with the whole build up to the race and then we'll talk through the race or should we just get the do it the race result and going through that out of the way and then we can take a little bit of a deeper dive into Kind of my build up and the training that I did and the setbacks I had, kind of
0: yeah, I, th- I going
1: th- through last year and then up to the race.
0: I think let's give a bit of context on the actual race and, and how you performed, obviously, because we've given we've given enough story now about how it had a world record and about how it had this sort of new idea about, about betting and things like that. So why not talk about the actual race and how your sort of participation and it finished and obviously the build up to it can kind of come afterwards. So give us right, give a okay. low give us a lowdown yeah. low on just your basic experience in the you know you start middle and end of the race itself of race day itself.
1: Well, first of all, just having a race day was amazing. Like I forgot how much. I think my Strava caption for this was, "I've missed literally everything about this." Like <laughs> seeing your seeing your mates there that you've not seen in a long time. Like catching up, chatting with people, being nervous, traveling towards a race worrying about what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it before a race scoping out the toilet situation going for a warm-up you know like just the the whole build-up the whole process being nervous getting on the start line looking around and thinking oh he looks in good shape oh he's like he might do well i've seen him do some good sessions and just not knowing how it's going to go having that anticipation that build-up and then just doing the race and going as hard as you can and finishing and being like right that's Everything I've had, relax, go for a warm down with your mates. Call your coach on the way home. Call your friends, family. Like, just digest the race. Not being able to sleep the night after the race. I saw four a.m. <laughs> for the first time in over a year last night. Like, just the whole thing is just, a, like, it's just a magical occasion. I like, it's it's hard to describe. It's the buzz of race day, isn't it? No matter, it's no just matter a what buzz. Your, yeah, it's just no matter buzz. what your
0: level thing whether it's the first time you've competed in a you know in a i don't know like a road 10k with other people or a half marathon or something like that there is always a buzz on race day
1: yeah no absolutely and that for me that was the biggest takeaway was just having that experience again like above all performance and you know like physiological benefits that i would have gotten from it in my training going forward all of that like just experience of just being able to do it again i was just so grateful just to do it again and you know what for three or four hours i forgot that covid was even a thing so
0: how magical is that just by itself
1: yeah no amazing amazing Uh, and i (laughs) to be fair i owe that quote to andy hayes who finished third in the race he said that as we were finished i called down he was like ah it's almost like covid hasn't been a thing tonight and yeah no that was (laughs) i didn't think of it until he said it and i was like you know what you're right it feels like it's this time 12 months ago yeah and it's just it just gives hope it, it just fills me with a lot of hope and i think a lot of other people have experienced this as well that life will return to normal absolutely like we're not we're not going to be stuck in this forever but we, i mean we've already had our preachy hope thing at the start of the episode yeah. go so on then go on then what should t- we get into what the time, secret what time did race?
0: you run go on tell us tell us what, what time, time, time you time- finished in should we go for that first
1: so i finished eighth in the race which is the most important bit i got beaten by four triathletes which i mean hats off to them like (laughs) yeah well i mean they put in a lot more hours of training than me so i guess no mate we need to get you (laughs) a it that way like yeah maybe maybe um and a bike that has a front wheel um (laughs) i might have even i think i might have even mentioned it on the pod back in august the front wheel of my bike got nicked and i still haven't replaced it so (laughs) i need that before i can uh think about doing any kind of triathlons it's you can't even get on a turbo with the without a front wheel as well so i can't even do um like zwift and things like that um but yeah i mean those those guys are pretty good at what they do like i'm pretty sure they're all full-time professional athletes that finished ahead of me uh One of them was Johnny Brownlee, who's obviously an Olympic medalist. Um, One of the triathletes... There was a a lot of triathletes turned up yesterday. Um, But yeah, one of them was Gordon Benson, who's an Olympian, who I used to race with for years and years as a junior. We both made our first um, England England schools international team together. Um, Yeah, the SIAB aged... We must have been 16, 15, 16. Um, and I think we're the only two from that team that are still in the sport. So Wow. good to see him there. Quick shout out to Gordon. If he listens to this, I highly doubt he will. Um, but yeah, so we'll go. Should we go through? Kind of Can I tell you what I finished in? I finished in 13.57. There you um, go. There's
0: the time. It's yeah, just there's a the time. Sub so couch, a, a casual sub 14 minute there.
1: <laughs> couch to sub 14. But I mean, like I said earlier, the time isn't quite as relevant as the i finished in eighth and i really did compete hard yeah and we'll get into that so basic kind of overview of the race is it went out pretty hard we were i think we were 242 243 or so through the 1k like i said earlier about 530 through 2k and to be honest i felt really really comfortable i felt great i was right in the pack with the leaders just kind of sitting pretty feeling great through 2k pretty much at halfway somebody i think went to the front i think it might have been grant sheldon the triathlete went to the front and just sort of pushed it on just a little bit and it was just that like half a notch quicker than i was ready to go with at that time like i think if i had gone with it i might have blown pretty badly and i actually nearly got him on the line so (laughs) it proved to be a pretty hefty move for him as well um so i dropped back a little bit there and just sort of lost concentration i think just from being from not having to put myself through that kind of racing ignoring how you feel and just going with moves and just reacting and trusting your fitness i just hadn't done that in such a long time i just missed that move partly deliberately and partly kind of just from a lack of concentration right it just kind of got away from myself a little bit and it wasn't until it was 1K laps, the course, and it wasn't until kind of halfway through the penultimate lap that I sort of realized that I was in no man's land and there wasn't much I could do about it. So I, I struggled after halfway and I think from halfway all the way to the finish, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, but what really kept me going, and what I'm quite pro- probably potentially most proud of in this race is that there was a huge group behind me. Like, it must have been a group of about 10 athletes that all ended up running between 13.59 and about 14.04 or so. I'd have to look on the results, 14.04, 14.05, something like that. Big, big group. And they were bearing down on me with about a K to go, going into the last lap. And there was a group of three up ahead that I was just trying to catch. And it was like, I was just stuck between these two groups was, however hard I try I couldn't catch those three and I also couldn't get far enough away from that group <laughs> of about 10 that I was safe so I was just sort of I mean I was going as hard as I could to stay away from them and to try and catch them uh and I ended up holding my position um and really really fighting for it I mean it's it's the hardest I've run in well over a year probably since december 2019 when i ran a 10k um out in paris and ran 28:52 off the top of my head um my 10k road tv it's the hardest i've run since then i mean and i say december 2019 like how long ago does that feel that's the hardest i've run since then
0: yeah that's a huge time so
1: yeah i mean i i hate this phrase but if ever there's been a rust buster <laughs> it was that. And I hate that phrase because to me, Rust Buster sounds like an excuse. And I don't like making excuses for my performance, despite what some people might think. <laughs> I, like to, I do like to take ownership of how I run and how I perform on race days and in training as well, I suppose. But, oh man, I needed that. And I felt it even on my long run today. And I think I'll really feel it when I go to do a session. I think, like I said earlier, I think that's going to kick my fitness onto another level. And when I go to race again, you're just going to be able, because you've gone through that process and because, you, because you've pushed yourself to that place that it's very difficult to go to in training. Yeah. I think I can really build on this.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's
1: the, bit, that's the bit that's exciting about it.
0: Yeah. And, and, I mean, obviously I don't have much in the way of kind of racing context that I can apply to that situation, but I certainly appreciate the value in several other fields of Of kind of brushing off the cobwebs i mean in in my own not necessarily racing or running experience but in my creative endeavors um just like i said to you before we started recording doing this podcast kind of feels the same as brushing off the cobwebs for me and i made a video for the first time in god knows how long the other day as well and and that just that activity of oh right this is this is something i haven't done in such a long time means that now that i've done it once i'll probably get the bug again and i'll be able to to start moving forward so I think it's just one of those things no matter what your field is in in the world of lockdowns and COVID now that you're well now that the world is starting to have that reopening people are starting to rediscover what they can achieve which is which is so positive. Um, exactly. So yeah so this is excellent um, maybe let's talk about your experience building up to it then because obviously we've we've sort of talked about your result we've talked about the event and we've had a bit of a general wag, but Certainly, from where you were, say six months ago, or even in—I remember when we were going to try and record a video in August last year, and, and it was sort of you were out of action because of, let's say, the guilty word injury. Let's 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 <laughs> have a talk about where you were six months ago compared to now, and, and obviously how it right yeah so to overcome everything. Yes,
1: exactly. So this is what I kind of want to be the. The real meat of the pod, like the real informative bit. If you've managed to make it till here, congratulations! You are now going to be rewarded with some advice, some analogies, and hopefully a fairly interesting story. And I want to take quite a deep dive into my training and how I dug myself out of this hole. So to do that, I think we need to re- we'll rewind all the way back to May of last year. So May of last year, lockdown one. We thought everything was going to be okay by the summer or by the end of the year or by whatever lockdown we had. But at this point, it was pretty, it was kind of evident that races weren't going to come back, but there was the potential of a summer track season, possibly later in the season, which did end up happening. So I was cracking on and I was getting into great shape. And I want to give a few example sessions here of kind of ones that stand out on the build up and kind of this is the one before that kind of highlights the shape that i was in so went to the grass track it wasn't even a grass track it was a grass 800 meter loop that i kind of figured out it was in stow market which actually it was in chilton fields where we recorded one of our pods yes. Um i can't remember which one uh, we may have even done a couple i think there's a photo of it out there somewhere but we did four times 200 six times 800 eight times 200 so four by two hundred on the front strides, just getting ready. 30s, thirty ones, that sort of thing. Meet of the session is this eight, six times eight hundred. Six is, times eight hundred. On I might the might
0: just jump in, and so that sounds absolutely disastrous as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty, pretty standard five k, three k type of work. But I had never touched this type of session, so I ran six times eight hundred on the grass in 208 down to 206 i've never done that on the track and i haven't done since this was a breakthrough session for me and then after that with a lot of shit my legs like pretty fatigued went and ran eight times 200 in 30 to 28 on the grass again and i think just about everyone will agree that the grass is slower than the track like it's just harder to run quick on the grass And I was in flat, so I wasn't spiked up or anything. Um, But that's the session that kind of really stands out to say I was in shape. like I was fit. I was moving. I was ready to run something quick over 5K. That to me suggests, along with a couple of other bids, I was ready to run somewhere in the 1330s for 5K had I been given the opportunity and a bit of track work. But as so often is the case when you get into great shape, I got injured, so it was I think a week and a half, about ten days after that session, went out to do a Sunday long run, and my Sunday long run that week was three minutes.
0: That's a bit shorter than uh, you usually like to do, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, shorter by about an hour and forty-two minutes <laughs> than usual. <laughs> so yeah, what had happened there basically, it, and. This is lockdown, remember, as well, so you can't just go and see a physio and you can't go and get massage and whatever it is or get it. It was getting diagnosis was something that I found really tricky and especially getting like an actual diagnosis. I never really got a this is exactly what's wrong with your foot diagnosis. It was never diagnosed as tendinopathy, tendinitis, a tear, whatever. But the area, we managed to, I uh, got onto an online physio. So huge shout out to Matt Bergen at Whiskey Paskin Buckingham uh, Physiotherapy. He is someone who I've competed against for years as well. He won English schools when we were kids and we've roomed together in um, in Paris where I ran my PB last year uh, or to, in 2019. So I know Matt really well. So shout out to him. He basically identified it as my flexor hallucis longus, which is a tendon which goes pretty much from your big toe up under your foot and up your calf into behind your knee. I think it's a tendon and a muscle, but basically that had gotten super, super inflamed, and that caused me to have... Well, should we just go through my weekly mileage for the the weeks after that? Because I didn't really know how long it would take me to have out, as is the nature of kind of tendon injuries. So that week was 4.3 miles, following week 4.2, three, sixteen, fourteen, twenty-seven. 16, 14, 27. Not a lot going on here, right?
0: No, I was going to say usually those sorts of things are your afternoon mileage instead of your weekly mileage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, that put me out for, I think it was three weeks pretty much off. And because it was locked down again, like I couldn't get into a gym, I couldn't get into a pool, I couldn't really cross train. All I had was a bicycle to just go out and cycle on the roads, which I'll be honest, I kind of hated. So I didn't really do any cross training. Yeah. But I mean, eventually, in kind of the, the back end of June, we get back into it, doing some walk jog type of things. And well, I mean, should we find what my first. My first successful run back that didn't result in three or four days off was 30 minutes of one minute jog, one minute
0: walk. Wow. Yeah, that just sounds, from knowing you as long as I have and obviously knowing you in the context of of running, that just, it sounds alien for you to be doing that sort of thing to me.
1: Well, I was running, I was jogging slash walking for half an hour. I covered 3.1 miles in 30 minutes. That's that's nearly 10 minute mile. Thing, so. <laughs> So it's not it's not where you'd expect me to be, (laughs) even uh, even with a lack of fitness. And uh, to be honest, that wasn't pain free. Like I I still didn't feel right. I still didn't feel quite right when I was doing these walk jog sessions and we tried lots of different things. So an example of one of the sessions or kind of runs that we tried, it was one of the third or fourth ones back was. 12 sets of 45 seconds jog, 15 seconds stride and then a 1 minute walk. So running that through 12 times. Cuz because of the nature of the injury running slowly on it wasn't necessarily the best thing for it to promote healing. Right. So it was quite it was it was quite an awkward one with we can't just do walk jog and you can't just build up global volume of mileage because when it comes to running fast again you're either just going to re-hurt yourself or you're not going to be able to move properly. You're going to have, you know, like you could run with a hitch in your stride, something like like it just was going to delay the process a lot more or really complicate the process further down the line or potentially just kind of cause a lot of stress down the line with having to re-educate my body on how to run fast. And that's obviously the name of the game. That's why you train is you want to run fast so we did a whole bunch of that sort of thing my first actual run that i did without taking uh taking breaks for walking or whatever was on wednesday the 24th of june that was a 30 minute easy run right so we're going from from what may 17th of may until the 20 something of june so about six weeks without having done an actual run
0: That must be the longest time that you've not run for about 10 years, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. And The problem with coming back from an injury like this versus coming back from an injury like a stress fracture, and I've had a stress fracture before, and that's just, it's pretty simple. It's six weeks completely off, and then you can slowly build up your mileage just by running kind of slowly. This one seemed to be a lot more frustrating because my foot didn't quite feel like my foot. As I was coming back from it and describing how it felt is quite difficult. It kind of felt like my my left foot was just a block, like it wasn't really responding in the way that it should have been. And I haven't really spoken openly about this injury. And we haven't put it on the pod because I wanted to have a race like this to show. Like basically I didn't want to moan about being injured without coming back from it and having the performance to back it up. Now I've had a performance to back it up. I'm going to have my little mode but hopefully this is going to help someone who's kind of going through injury realize that like if you take your time and you're sensible with it you can come back and you can perform at the level that you were at before i mean that performance was four seconds slower than my pb um in a time when i wasn't really prepared to run a fast 5k which we'll get into yeah but without i mean without going into too much crazy detail um slowly built up from there dabbled in some kind of actual sessions so it would have the structure of a session but it would be kind of you know like a quarter of what i'd normally do um so for example one of them here is a five minute tempo four times two minutes four times one minute four times 30 seconds uh that's that's a very very short session for me especially at the speed that I was running these at um but basically i mean the comeback was on basically like i was I was starting to move well i was kind of feeling like i was able to actually run again and one session i think that's probably quite good to highlight and i want to highlight this so that people Realize just how patient you have to be when you lose fitness and you're coming back after a long period off with injury. Is we had, do you remember we were running with Steadfast? We were running the virtual echidn relays. Yes. Yeah. So everybody ran a leg from 5K, 7.2K, 10K. I was assigned a 10K leg and I ran 3317. And I think I even put it on Strava to save face as 10k tempo <laughs> oh good first hit. 10k tempo brackets virtual echo. <laughs> uh just to try and save face but i tell you what that tempo quote unquote tempo was pretty close to the line i could not have gone much quicker than that i maybe had another 30 seconds in me yeah i was unfit at the time um but i mean you don't this is one of the things with social media and i i thought about being honest about it but didn't <laughs> just didn't bother i just just lied instead said it was a tempo I, i'd love to know what my heart rate was on that day because it was probably it was probably in the high 190s by the time i finished that Jeez, uh, that yeah. effort which yeah i mean that's that's racing heart rate if you're doing a 10k that's that's pretty close to max heart rate but yeah and that actually kind of screwed me up for the best part of a week um just didn't did a couple of sessions i think i dropped out of my next session um not even halfway through um session after that was hills and some very very slow mile repeats um but yeah eventually kind of managed to get myself back into it before the second injury decided to strike
0: cool we need to get some dramatic music for you i think with things like segments. yeah i know we the did. injury strikes back
1: <laughs> yeah no it is too fast too injured um <laughs> the re-engineering oh god um anyway i mean this was was it literally the day before we were supposed to do the beer mile
0: it was yeah it was it was very close it was within that same sort of time period
1: it was pretty close to it and basically what i managed to do here is i went on an 80 minute long run and managed to tear my calf out of the soleus and i have absolutely no idea how i managed to do that um but again because you can't go and see the physio because it's locked down i had to just sort of me and my coach basically just spoke about it discussed my symptoms and things like that and we were like yeah that's we don't know to what grade it's torn but that's a torn calf like or a strained calf like basically you're not running for at least two weeks best case scenario um and that was what happened i didn't run for two weeks but i was lucky it was a relatively low grade at least we assume and by the time that had healed i was able to get in and i was able to see a physio and i was able to get treatment on it i was able to go and see a chiropractor because i think the reason it happened is because my hips were so far out of alignment for not getting treatment for so long and from favoring against my left foot trying to protect that foot after the injury for that's interesting. that's interesting yeah exactly well i'd been i'd been kind of running on it throughout this whole time And I wish I when I first felt that pain in my foot, I wish I'd just been like, nope, through two, three, four weeks off. Like we're in lockdown. There's no races. Just take it as an end of season break. Um, But it's very hard to see that perspective when you're in the moment as an athlete. Of course. But yeah, anyway, I was able to get treatment, things like that. Had my two weeks off and then we're back into the couch to 5k training. First run back. Guess what it is?
0: don't know <laughs> i was expecting a guess there. Sorry, so it was I the was... 30 minutes of one minute jog one minute walk oh i see sorry uh, i i wasn't i wasn't sure on whether you were going to go like first run back was either going to be something ludicrously pathetic or ludicrously hard i can never tell with you
1: <laughs> yeah no it was it was ludicrously pathetic so we're back to you know the couch to 5k stuff we're back to doing one minute walk one minute jog um good anecdote actually is i was doing one of these around bushy park and it was a really hot day because we're now in the middle of august and this is why th- this was seven months ago so this is hence the title couch to 5k couch to sub 14 minute 5k in seven months this was seven months ago and i'm doing couch to 5k training training but the anecdotes so i'm doing one of these going through bushy and for whatever reason i put a heart rate monitor on but it's really hot so i'm not wearing a shirt right <laughs> and there's a bunch of guys who are like good athletes themselves like 14 minute 5k runners in their own right <laughs> and they just see me heart rate monitor just strolling not running at all just strolling through the middle of bush. <laughs> it's like 14 minute 5k guys bouncing around running three minute k's and i'm just strolling the other thing so, I, I
0: dare say that must have looked even more bizarre is you because i can't imagine that you went out in anything other than You know high-grade equipment like your proper proper like adidas short shorts with your proper you know like expensive shoes as well and they probably thought like why has they got all the gear and no idea
1: (laughs) well that's what i had had no shirt heart rate monitor i probably was wearing short shorts and yeah like probably a not a pair of solar glides that probably had barely any miles in because i changed shoes after the injury um or midway through the comeback and Yeah, probably looked great when I was actually running, but that was only for 15 minutes of that day and there was a lot of walking in between.
0: So what was the next step after that as you sort of, you know, as as you sort of got to the point where you could come back from from outright exclusion and outright pain, as, as you started to rebuild, when did things start to turn and actually come to a point where you thought i can go out for a run and this doesn't feel it doesn't feel so unusual for me
1: yeah so it took it didn't take quite so long after this i'm trying i've got my training log open now and i'm trying to find what my first actual run was okay so okay so it was on the 17th of august it was 30 minutes around bushy park 30 minutes of just jogging and i think there was at this point i was kind of half concerned about my foot half concerned about my calf and it took quite a long time from this point of slowly building up mileage and then slowly adding in intensities i'll try and find one of the first actual kind of sessions that i did um let's have a look so that one that doesn't really count so the first structured session that i did was a 10 minute jog to warm up stop do your drills and strides and stuff four times 45 seconds with a minute recovery three times a minute with 75 seconds recovery four times 45 seconds with a minute recovery two minutes recovery between sets and then a 10 minute warm down and i was doing these at what is now roughly my tempo pace so we're talking about five minute miling, just under and this is for 45 second reps one minute reps 45 seconds like i was pretty much starting from scratch and this is not a long session by any means here <laughs> so yeah that's that's what we were working with that week was a 25 mile week and it was basically just, I mean, after the, after getting re injured after the first injury and that essentially making three months of not training, we kind of discussed and came to the conclusion that patience was going to be the key here. Like it doesn't matter how long it takes, but I need to be able to get back to full training and to be able to do it healthily. Of course. So, if you feel anything along the way pull back only progress very very slowly so it took like it, it took a long time for me to do anything that kind of resembles what i would be doing now but over the course of the few months i mean throughout august i was sort of just doing walk jogs throughout september i built built my total mileage up to about 40 miles a week and i was doing sessions like that one and just slowly adding in a little bit more each week so that session i described there was about what like seven eight minute volume yeah then we go to 10 to 12 to 15 to 20 to 25 and i think what's important is every time we made a jump forward we would wait you know you'd, you'd have the shock of that jump forward and you'd be like okay i've jumped forward my body feels challenged and you'd wait for that challenge to kind of flatline and then you'd make another jump. And those jumps can be either in volume or intensity. So I was trying to run more and trying to run quicker at the same time, but also having to kind of monitor how, that, how I was reacting to that. Was I likely to relapse into another injury? Uh, and at one point I did actually have a little bit of a scare with my calf. I'm looking to try and find where that week was. Yeah, there it was. So in October, I had to have about four days off um, for my other calf, which had just, I think it was my peroneal, my perineal tendon and my soleus had just got really upset and had just gone, nope. Um, but that actually resolved itself fairly quickly. So that wasn't so bad. Um, and then, yeah, are getting into November, where I'm finally doing something of what resembles for me actual training so we're talking 70 75 80 miles a week building up into december we finally get back up to the hundreds again and i'm i'm using mileage in a week because that's just the quickest easiest way to describe it without going into crazy depth with the sessions of course yeah. i don't think any of i don't think any of this is on strava um but, I mean, anyone who wants to look at like, I'll send anyone my training log that wants to look at it. Like, I'm not secretive about training. Yeah, I don't course. think people should be. Um, but one, I think time trials are obviously the only way that people have been able to monitor their fitness, right? Like, during yeah. these COVID times. Yeah, like, big time. I was entered for some races, but they all got cancelled. But instead of going into sessions, I guess if if we go into some time trials. So I did a time trial, um, a five mile time trial on the twenty seventh of December, and around twenty four twenty two. Which not bad. It's you know, I've had a couple of months of training, but you don't associate a twenty four twenty two five mile with a thirteen fifty seven five K. No. Nice. So there's a lot of work to be done still. Um uh, but yeah, then we had, I'm trying to see where this most recent training block that I started that I've just completed actually started. So I had a few weeks at hundred miles a week there. And then I think we did another time trial and I'm trying to find where it was at some point in either January or February. There it is. It is on the 12th of February, the day before my mum's birthday. Did a five mile time trial and that was 2357. So that's a 25 second improvement on last time, having had kind of a block of kind of decent mileage, but also trying to get me moving again. So, what we focused on first was building up to a point where I felt like I was doing actual training, like I was hitting the global volume and I was able to handle sessions of a decent volume. And then pretty much right around the turn of the year, after that time trial, we decided, okay, let's get some speed back in the legs. Because the last time you ran fast was in May, and now we're in January of the next year. Yeah. So we, did, we didn't have access to the track either. So we basically just had to do what we could with what we had. So we're going into Bushy, and let, let's see if I can find an example of... That was something of a good session where I got moving. The hills is probably a good example of what we did. So, I mean, here's an example of we started off with some pure speed and then we did some VO2 max work. So we went to Richmond Park, went on the hill, did eight times ten seconds, took a long rest, and then did five times three minutes up the hill. If anyone – I've set three-minute hills to some of the guys before, so if they're listening, they'll know what they feel like. Three-minute hills suck. I bet, yeah. I – I would the only way that I can describe them to somebody who's not done them is if you've done 1k reps off of really long recovery on the track and like you're trying to run that kind of 3k 5k type of intensity like you're running hard for a k. Yeah. Um I don't know what's that, I don't think I've set you anything similar to this before. Um I mean you hated those 90 second hills enough when we did those and yeah, definitely I, I in certainly wouldn't be, a,
0: wouldn't be in any hurry to double those
1: no exactly um uh, you'd get to half the amount of reps if that makes it any better but yeah <laughs> that doesn't <make laughs> So we had that little when
0: you're three quarters of the way up
1: <laughs> no oh trust me the last the last minute or 45 seconds or so of a three minute hill is just awful and even even the last like 10 seconds those last 10 seconds are long and it's ten seconds within three minutes, but it just feels like an absolute eternity. I've never, I've never been more out of breath in a session than I have from three-minute hills. <laughs> at the
0: top of a hill, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it, they're hard,
1: they're hard. Um, so anyway, we have that little block of just trying to get the legs moving a little bit because I was getting kind of basically just stuck at around. 50 to 5 minute type of pace uh, in all of my sessions. Like, no matter what kind of the rep length was, the recovery, I was just a little bit stuck. So, we had this block of getting the legs turning again. And that culminated in that five mile time trial, which went pretty well. Like, I I ran it with Jake Shelley, my teammate. Shout out to Jake. Um, He really helped push me on as well. And that was the only taste of competition I've had in a year up until yesterday. So, (laughs) huge shouts to Jake for that um and he ran really well as well i think he was about twenty four ten, um and i think has since struggled a little bit but it's coming back into training after injury um but yeah we got that out of the way and then between then and now coming out of the race is we've basically just done a big six-week block a big mileage and big sessions big half marathon type sessions I'm talking like we're doing stuff like 12 times a K, nine-mile tempo. Uh, What's the other big ones that I've done? Four by two mile, uh, six sets of three-minute, two-minute, one-minute off 30 seconds, two minutes between sets. Like Big, big volume sessions. So running a 5K at the end of that was tough. And where I feel like I'm at right now is really, really fit but just not quite race sharp and getting that race in. That's why I'm actually really quite happy with the performance on the day because there's, I've not really done much to suggest that I was ready for a fast 5k. Um, the big- and that's Like I think just getting that fitness back was the biggest thing for me. And you could, you, I think you can notice there, like we've strategically placed the training into blocks of getting used to training again, getting fast again, getting fit again and now we've had a race and we're ready to get fit and fast yeah and that
0: go on i was just going to say the the big thing amongst all of that and a question that i would have for you is especially somebody who's kind of you know been around the block with a lot of these things now is is how does it mentally feel for you to now have a, a proper, like, contextualized performance? But, like, mental mentally and like mental health wise, obviously, you have, an, and everyone I think knows who's ever had any sort of sporting injury knows how difficult it feels to go, oh, I can't do that thing i want to do because of this and, and having to employ that patience is difficult and then when you do start to come onto the comeback trail you're almost kind of gun shy at first if you know what i mean um, yeah oh 100 oh how does it now like, feel? literally
1: mentally mentally it's everything i've known i've been in shape for three plus three or four months now i've known i've been fit and healthy and ready to roll for about three months but had this race been three months ago i probably would have run about 14 30
0: yeah, and I mean that's a, that's an enormous so the, difference. Yeah, yeah.
1: So being able to maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it would have been fourteen, fifteen, fourteen, twenty, but having a performance that's comparable with performances that I've run, that I've made in the past, and we're not talking just about the time. I mean, the position is quite relevant as well. I mean, the two, the three big five Ks that I've done in the last few years is. Armour 5K, 9th, Ipswich 5K, 9th, Podium 5K, 8th. So position-wise, we're about the same. Time-wise, those were 1357, 1353, 1354. Um, I think I probably cocked up the order there. But the times and, like, it, it matches up. It all matches up. And I know that I'm back in a place that I've been before. And now I'm ready to kick on and, you know, be better than I've ever been before.
0: Yeah surely the thing that would certainly in my mind would make me feel good moving forward is it must you must be able to draw strength from the the idea that your injuries and your fitness feel like they've kind of come back around in a par- yes. in a well in a parallel time scale to covid starting to kind of dictate what we do less and less and, and our freedoms kind of beginning to reopen again it must feel absolutely incredible to know that You've overcome those as, I say, the world and certainly the UK is starting to really feel like it's getting grip of COVID. So to have those two in parallel must be an enormous boost, just spiritually. Yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> My timing with this has been absolutely impeccable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not only is it all of the COVID things and I got injured right in the height of it and it took me as lo- I don't think there's much I could have done different. I think it would have taken this long to get back to this position. Pretty much no matter what. But I mean, there's also lots of other things like the track is now opening up. I can train on the track again. I've not been on the track this calendar year. I ran 1357 with literally zero track work.
0: <laughs> no track training and, whatsoever. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, training in Bushy is second to none for just about anywhere else in the world. But you just, there's just certain gears that you can't access just certain things that you can't do even on a physiological level until you get on the track so i'm excited to have that in the books with so much room for improvement and that's the biggest positive that i'm drawing from that race is how much room for improvement there is on that performance like i would argue i was one of the least ready to run that race in the field i'm sure a lot of people will probably disagree with that but yeah, let, it, let them think what they think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the underdog. I'm gonna play the victims.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're certainly, right. After, I, after you've been through everything, I think you're allowed to. And, and again, enormous congratulations to be able to overcome a lot of those things to then be able to go out and and pull out any kind of performance, let alone a sub 14 effort. Yeah. Like you say, well, r- I mean, I do, I want to make things. it
1: kind of. I do want to make it clear. I'm like, I'm not the only athlete that's ever been injured. Like. <laughs> It's just having it happen during those times. I think mentally for me was was difficult, especially when there was there were windows of opportunity opening up for certain people, but not for others. And I couldn't help but feel like I had missed out by being injured at the wrong time and not being able to prove my worth to gain those opportunities. Yeah, just, um, it's funny.
0: As as you were talking, I was thinking that FOMO must have been really. A factor, huge all of that sort of thing. Oh, it's
1: absolutely huge. Right. Okay. So the whole time that we've been talking, there's been a pretty massive elephant in the room. Shall we finally address it?
0: Shall I do a drum roll? Can any old long li- old long-time listeners know where it could possibly go? <laughs>
1: well, we've talked about boxing. We we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned Kip Chungus just yet, <laughs> but we're not going with him.
0: We're going with the shoes. Oh, the shoes! What on earth has shoes. happened? What's happened with shoes, Kieran? What's happened? I've I've, I've worn you. a pair of them. I dare I've, you, I've you worn to say a pair of gone. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: have worn a pair of shoes, and they have got a carbon fiber plate in them.
0: Shock horror! Yeah,
1: so shock horror. Dum dum dum. Yeah, so I wore the shoes for the race, um, and yeah, I mean. <laughs> Jeez, they helped um and that's another reason why i've been kind of playing down the time a tiny bit as i don't know what it's worth so what i've done here is is I've kind of on our little shared google doc that we have is i've kind of made notes of how they helped and how they didn't help and what my conclusions are and i think it's important to first of all start by thanking adidas for sparing me masses and masses i don't i wouldn't even want to put a number on how much expense they've saved me from sending me kit and shoes over the last couple of years and for them keeping the faith i am so grateful like it's hard for me to put that into words i even i even did an instagram post that's how grateful i am me who doesn't (laughs) i don't really know how to social media so yeah i I am very grateful so any negative things that i say about the shoe they're my honest opinion and it's not a reflection on adidas or any other shoe company it's just how i felt in this race and some of it is relevant to uh, in fact almost all of it is relevant to literally just me and the way that i run and the way that i respond to the shoes so let's start off with the positives how they helped holy crap they felt bouncy and you've since run in a pair of the shoes
0: as well. You've run in the Nike versions, right? And like, they're just so
1: bad. Like, they're just
0: pingy. Yeah, it's it's worth it's worth pointing out for any uh, any long term listeners. Obviously, how we didn't have we had we had mixed opinions beforehand, and we recu- recu- recorded our shoe rant podcast a while ago. Now, um, I have subsequently mm. now got three carbon fiber shoes. Um, <laughs> However, I want to interject with one pair I've bought the um I bought the Ineos 159 Alpha flies kind of more as a museum piece just because I like the way they look and uh, I'm going to kind of like mount them on a wall because I believe that they are their own form of uh their own form of performance art if you will and what they represent is much more important than uh than kind of them as a, as a tool so to speak yeah they're your shrine to king Elliot. they are my they are my shrine shoes um and they weren't available (laughs) in the uk in my size um so i actually have had them i've not done an instagram post or anything about them which is unlike me um but i've had them since november and um they're still that's that um shoe in men's sizes hasn't been available in the UK. So that's kind of the effort that I went to get them I had them specifically imported because that's I could have bought any old Alpha Flies. I could have bought the orange ones or the black ones, but I wanted those ones specifically. Um <laughs> so, so that's it. So I've got those. I bought a pair of vapor flies. Um just because I thought, well, I'll get to a point where I'll want to take a race seriously. Um and I received a bit of inheritance as well. So um so that was kind of how I decided to treat myself, um, and then the third pair—you you took them for a bit of a spin as well, right? Yeah, I've only run three miles in them, um, and that was when I was off the back of there's no training whatsoever, um, and went out and ripped like a windy eighteen five 8, like eighteen twenty five k or eighteen minute twenty five five k. Yeah, um, that's not
1: that's not bad. I'm, I'm sure we'll have listeners whose PVs are. Not (laughs) 1820, yeah, and I'm probably thinking I would love to run an 1820 with training, so (laughs) yeah, yeah, so so,
0: but for for, for me, certainly, yeah, the experience felt good, they did feel bouncy. Um, and for me, certainly, the key thing that I noticed is then when I put my because I put my normal shoes on just to go for a cool down afterwards, um, and i felt sort of like different muscles in my feet and in my legs and things working like they just felt flat and they sort of felt almost like i was running in clown shoes um which was yeah a bizarre well feeling. The, the
1: quote the quote from my run my long run today in the first mile was i feel like i'm running with slabs of ham on my feet yeah. like you just feel like you just feel very slappy and very uncoordinated when you first go back into normal in, in shoes fact, and unco- that was uncoordinated i warmed it's down an an in a regular pair of shoes, but yeah what was that?
0: Uncoordinated is an amazing way to sum up how I felt after I sort of unclipped, yeah. unclipped mine again.
1: No exactly and well okay so we'll move on to the kind of the next point that I've got of how they helped is they're just really comfortable. I don't know if you felt this as well but I mean I've got a big ass onion on one of my feet and <laughs> blisters to end all blisters and black toenails and stuff and like my feet really do take a battering with my training and the amount of mileage that I run. And I think something in the way I run, my feet just take a battering, but I thought just feels really comfortable in there. It feels really protected and uh, something about the stack height and the squishiness of the foam comfy. I don't know if you, I don't know what your thoughts are on that or if you have any,
0: um, I can actually come in on two points on that is because I've also got the, in the world of Nike, I've got the zoom fly, which are a, carbon fiber shoe but they've got what they call the react foam which is not the super lightweight super bouncy um zoom x stuff it is deliberately designed to be a a more firm more hard wearing shoe um Mm. and when i've run albeit just in a couple of different sort of zoom x moments and those, those sort of softer foams I feel exactly what you mean is that the squishiness is nice and you don't feel kind of quite so battered. Like you don't have that achy foot feeling. Um, however, Mm. when I ran in the zoom flyers around Alton water, I did two laps for the first time in far too long. And, um, it got to a point where they were too stiff. The carbon fiber was actually too stiff for me. And, um, I kind of described it somebody as imagine if you're bouncing on a trampoline but you're not bending your knees when you land. It got to the point where it kind of that sort of it felt like it was sending shocks through me. Um and that was interesting.
1: I think that's a slightly softened plate in that shoe as well. Um we won't we'll try not to delve too much into shoe tech. Um yeah. another point another point I thought of what they were quite good for is just in fact, actually, no. we'll, we'll, we'll kind of carry on with the comfort, the comfort thing, because I did find that I recovered quite well. And I mean, we're only pretty much exactly bang on now. It's just gone to quarter past eight. So we're pretty much bang on 24 hours removed from the race. But I do feel like I've recovered quite well so far. Your legs don't feel quite so beaten up, you know, your lower legs, especially your calves and your, your feet just don't feel like they get quite so beaten up like you say um so recoverability like racing in these it means that you can race more frequently you can race hard more frequently and recover off of it yeah at least that's my thought and the final kind of big point that i've got is you just feel more confident lining up in a pair of shoes that's kind of on the same broad spectrum and i think it is a broad spectrum still of everybody else's shoe, it's it's almost like it's almost like you're lining up and you're like, okay, well, I'm wearing a Premier League shoe against other Premier League shoes. I'm not turning up in, you know, a pair of uh, adios Fives or Boston's or something like that or sh- Streaks. If you're going down the Nike route, you're not being a League One, League Two side going up against a Premier League side. If that makes if that analogy makes sense, you know, you're on the same playing field. It might not be even depending upon kind of the race distance and whatever, but yeah, you're on the same playing field. So you can take more confidence going into it. You have confidence in your footwear is kind of the broad kind of uh, point that I'm trying to make here.
0: Yeah and well that that yeah that's that's so important and the thing is the the mental aspects of all of these things that that kind of keeping up with the joneses thing is is looking around and going you know am i am i mugging myself off here because i've not got them or yeah whatever that feeling might be but then also mm. yeah we we've got so used to seeing them just on on racing on the television and online and things now is is it's yeah is is it's nice to feel included like you say in in the same league
1: yeah, yeah. no exactly Okay so I I want to keep these points as kind of still positive as possible because overall it was a positive experience but I think be remiss not to mention the things that I noticed that were maybe not quite so great so I did find them and this might be just not having enough practice so I did two sessions in the shoes in the build up to in the 3 or 4 weeks before this race and then raced in them so one of the big things i felt was i just felt a little bit uncomfortable It felt like the stack height was a little too high and i didn't really feel in control of my movements i felt they're really comfortable for my foot but they weren't quite so comfortable to run in. i was sort of tripping over myself a little bit and especially in the corners i really struggled kind of with feeling comfortable and with holding speed and momentum and not kind of being all over the place and at some points early on in the race kind of crashing into people and probably really annoying them uh anytime we came kind of to a corner i i don't know if you have any thoughts on this because you've not really raced run on tight courses or with other people but have you had any experience of that feeling kind of just a little bit not quite in control of your own movement
0: yes uh I, I do understand what you mean. Um, the since the sensation for me was emphasised more with I've got a pair of the um, which I bought to, as a treat for myself before I ran the virtual London marathon is the um, is the tempo shoe. So they've not got a carbon plate in them, but they've got a couple of different kinds of foam, and they've got like the um, the air cushions in them. The air thing, yep. yeah, yeah, and um, and certainly I've I've now run I want to say probably about twenty miles in them in total. Um, yeah. So not. Hu- I think we're probably on about the same there. Yeah. So not a, not a huge amount. However, the one thing that I will say is, I think the longer I've the, the longer you run in them, the the sort of the better they feel because you're you sort of once you're in that rhythm of I've got to concentrate for a longer run. Like I've run a half marathon in mine now, um, or twelve twelve mm. and a half miles, whatever it was. So um. The longer I ran, obviously, I realize, I just got used to how they, they were feeling, obviously, because they're going to feel the same for, for the next 10 miles or however long you've got left. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, then the concentration becomes, okay, well, how do I feel because I've still got a long way to go? However, when I first ever clipped them on, I just went out for a little 5K kind of round the block. Let, let's see how they feel. And I noticed the difference, like, big time because obviously because it wasn't long enough for me to be concentrating on anything else other than gotta go gotta crank it let's, let's really wind it up um i noticed all the difference a lot more um and yeah you
1: feel like you're really kind of just always tripping over yourself like you're just moving so forward in such a weird way i think there's a lot to be said about learning how to run in these shoes and it will be really interesting to revisit this conversation yeah once and... we've both racked up a bit more mileage in them and done some longer races because that's One of the big points that I was going to make is the Adidas shoe specifically is definitely from what I've seen more of a half-marathon, marathon type of shoe. And the next percent seems to have really excelled over the 5k, 10k. Like, yes, over the half and over the marathon as well. But potentially, could it be that you know if you have the freedom to choose shoes like I do, I'm not actually contracted to Adidas. They're super helpful to me and I'm super thankful to not have that expense. But i could be free to if i wanted to wear a next percent for the five and ten and an adios pro for the half and full marathon yeah and i wonder if that's and another note that i had as well is i found it really hard to kick now it's hard to kick in road races as it is i think but to really put your foot down when you're wearing these shoes is just such an uncomfortable feeling i think to really sprint like truly kick for the finish i it just felt strange to me. And I wonder whether running in a regular pair of shoes, I might have had a couple of seconds over that final 400. I'd 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 like to know. I'd love to replicate those conditions and just have been able to do it in normal shoes as well and just to see how much difference it makes. I think my, my coach summed it up quite well. Is he basically said, first of all, one of the first things he said on the phone was, thought you wore the next set. i saw the results and then i saw that you wore the adidas shoes and not the nike ones and that explained why you performed at the level you're at instead of ahead of the level you're at but yeah. the only reason you performed at the level you're at is because you were wearing the shoes and had you not worn them you probably would have performed at below the level you're at and the level i i'm at is the level that i'm training at in regular shoes and the reason he thought i would have performed below that in a race is because it's it's just been so long since i raced and to get a performance like that in a regular pair of shoes you kind of you need to have had some kind of comparable effort outside of training in a racing environment prior to it
0: yeah and you know what that's something that i've i've certainly tried to try to think about um and Mm. with my Obviously, with you know, unlike you, I I have paid for these shoes out of my own pocket. Apart from the Zoom Flies, which were a gift to me for Christmas, so I mustn't uh, I mustn't to uh, be too disrespectful and just say oh I've had to pay out all my own money. Um, but but <laughs> obviously I've had to pay out to them. So for me, I am acutely aware of of trying to use my shoes in certain situations so they don't just get chewed up. Um, yeah. But one thing that I have been conscious of is the Zoom Flies, which are car- obviously carbon fiber. Is I've tried to running those in a diversity of situations now i've now running them with fast fast times you know fast 5ks and things like that i also have run some like slow longer runs so i did like eight minutes of eight eight miles at eight minutes in those shoes just because i thought it will be good for me to try out that type of shoe in that type of run Um, and once i was Mm. finished I, i felt fine but um there were moments where I thought, actually, I don't think this is necessarily the the right way to use these shoes. I've I felt like they needed that extra, you know, that that extra impact to really make the most of them. You know, when you're running hard and your foot is really going boom and pushing into the ground, I felt like they needed that. Um, and for me, that is kind of my way of learning with them. And I think you're right. A couple of your notes here that you've said about kind of learning how to run in them is really important and things like things like the kick it would be really interesting if you said did a session and then maybe you finished off your session with some 100 meter sprints you know or whatever whatever a kick equivalent might be so a couple you know a couple of sessions of 200 is do it in you know maybe do your track session and then change your shoes and then just go and do a couple of loads of 100 meters maybe out on the road just in those shoes because Mm. then that way you're going to learn how it feels and if you need to make those little you'll learn yeah your
1: body will learn how to run fast under fatigue mechanically in those shoes That's that's a really good point and that's kind of part of what i was saying where i was kind of like you know we're so inexperienced in using these shoes and i think everybody is really some people have managed to accidentally maximize them i think but figuring out how exactly to do that, I think, is going to take a while to kind of unravel and to become kind of common knowledge. And I, you might have really hit onto something there. that might be a really good point.
0: Yeah, just um, it's, uh, and the thing is, for me, and, and certainly in my own experience, um, something that I'm really now trying to take in the importance of is beforehand, you know me and how, how I've been. I've very much been a kind of a cheapskate when it comes to these sorts of things. I've just had a couple of pairs of shoes. I've just <laughs> gone out and run in them and not really given thought to those whereas now um as I focus on because I've had my own little couple of not major injuries but little little niggles that make me feel uncomfortable is I've tried to really contemplate how to recover and how to be sensible. A part <laughs> of that I've realized now is really using my shoes appropriately for the for the situations I'm in and um and certainly for my for my half marathon effort, whether I do it in August or whether I kind of do one off my own back in, in the meanwhile, um, I will be sure to do some tempo running in my race day shoes before I actually finally commit to the commit to the, the on the day race, you know?
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And well, before we dig ourselves so deep into a shoe hole that we can't get out of, I think we probably want to wrap it up because uh, I did remember uh as i was scrolling through the dock here as you were talking and i was definitely paying attention um yeah. listening word for word, taking it in uh our next pod that we're planning on doing is literally titled should i wear carbon fiber slash max stack height shoes in training so <laughs> we'll try and wrap this up for here a conclusion for myself is will i wear super shoes in races from now on yes in road races i'm gonna be wearing a type of super shoe but I'm going to have to think about which ones depending on the race distance and what I've done in training and the build up to it. And that that's my, that's my conclusion on the shoe stuff. I think we've already kind of reached a conclusion on the how you go from couch to sub 14 minute 5k in seven months. Is First of all, I have a background of doing it before. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Most importantly, no matter what level you're at, when you get in when you get injuries the most important thing like above all else is just not to rush don't rush back to fitness just take it slow and it wasn't until we realized that we had nothing to lose that we took it slow enough to get me in a position where i was healthy enough to push on again and that's the most important thing is you need to be healthy before you can actually run fast again
0: it sounds obvious but sometimes you just need to hear it again don't you
1: (laughs) exactly exactly and you know the obvious runners are kind of stupid in a way like they will run through they will run until they physically cannot (laughs) most runners so sometimes you just have to say it so uh, probably the hardest thing i have with coaching is getting people to take it easier on their easy days or to take rest days when they don't want to so and i think my coach will tell you the same thing is the hardest thing about coaching me is getting me to slow down rather than necessarily to speed up um i mean today was a good example the the recommendation was zero to 90 minutes and i went out and did 90 so. yeah but yeah i mean I, I preach rest and i do practice what i preach sometimes <laughs> yeah sometimes
0: and, and you know what actually next time next time we pod i've got my own experiences like that that i can kind of talk about on the on the basis of relaxing and learning learning how to rest but uh shall we save that one for another time because we've now been recording for long enough to put it mildly yeah
1: yeah we may have to come up with some chunks of this to edit out i think it's mostly good stuff but it's gonna be a longy right so thank you everyone for for tuning in if you've made it this far Jesus. i mean yeah you deserve a medal or you're in real trouble (laughs) (laughs) nothing we can say is gonna help you but thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll
0: hopefully be back a lot sooner than we were last time. Uh, Sam, have you got any last remarks? It's good to record again. It's good to embrace creativity. And it's good just to have a chat with you because you and I don't talk nearly as much as we should do because we've always relied on formats like this in the past. So, yeah, it's good to uh, good to have a catch-up. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, kind of – I'm excited to see the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to COVID. And I'm excited for the sun to come back out and – and yeah and us to really be able to start doing what we want to do again
1: there we go racing is back steadcast is back the pub is almost back life is good